Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein, and our special guest today, one of our contributors, Jonathan. Yeah, so we got two main subjects that we're going to talk about today. The first, however, being is that it was uh, recently confirmed what the Sixers offered the Chicago Bulls before the 1984 NBA draft. Now, for those that haven't heard the story, some background here is that recently the Rod Thorne, former Sixers and former Bulls GM, GM of the Bulls at the time when Michael Jordan was drafted, Thorne was offered by the Six, had a strong offer given by the Sixers at the time. It wasn't revealed. However, it was recently uh, dug up by Noah Levick of NBCS Sports that the Sixers offered Dr. Julius Irvin, or Dr. J, for the rights of the third pick, which ended up being Michael Jordan. So I guess my question for you two guys is, what are your thoughts on that initially? Well, uh, I think it would have been a good deal for the Sixers because Dr. J, as good as he was, was getting old. I think he was around 33, 34 at the time this trade would have gone down. And you would have had 13, 14, 15 years with the young star MJ became obviously. So I think at the time had that worked out, the Sixers could have a few more banners up in the, in the rafters in the Wells Fargo center, no doubt. So this coming out makes me wish it had actually gone through. Yeah. I think we're all in the same boat. This was when he was in his past his, his best years. So just to look back in hindsight and wonder what would have happened if Philadelphia had gone arguably the greatest player ever is a pretty tantalizing proposition. And we don't know for sure how MJ even would have panned out in Philly because it's a different situation. But I think we can safely assume that he would have been at or near his same level of greatness. I don't think Chicago in particular had 
I don't think Chicago in particular molded him to be the player that he was. I think his personality and his skill would would have shined through anywhere. So it's definitely kind of almost a bummer to to look back and think um, of what could have been. Most definitely. And um, for me personally, I, you know, and what was made clear is that the Sixers still would have had the fifth pick. So more than likely the Sixers still would have had both Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. Could you imagine the type of two-man game that those two could have played, the type of one-two punch they would have had? Granted, I'm not saying, you know, obviously Charles Barkley is a different player than uh, Scottie Pippen, but at the same token, I think their games still would have complemented each other. And they were friends off the court for a very long time until uh, Barkley made some comments about uh, Jordan as an owner, which obviously has uh, broken their relationship since. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, I – Feel, I feel like especially uh, that season initially after the draft, the 84-85 season when the Sixers made the conference finals, I think it's I think it would be I think the Sixers would have had a better shot. And I hate to say this because I love Dr. J, but prime a young Jordan, you know, versus an aging Julius Irving. And I think Levick pointed this out in his article where Irving did not shoot well in that uh, series. So. With that in mind, I think it's fair to say that Jordan probably would have had a little bit more success against this against the Celtics versus the aging Irving. We don't know how close that deal was, you know, going to be done, but it sounded. It seemed, my guess is that it was a strong offer, but I, I think the Bulls were pretty much set on Jordan, and I think that's that's not going to change. But do you guys think that if if the Sixers drafted both Barkley and Jordan, that they would have been? easily the best Sixers duo in franchise history as well as possibly one of the best duos in NBA history? Yeah, I think they ha- could have that capability. I mean, like you said, Barkley's not uh, the same player as Scottie Pippen, but they call him the round mound of rebounds. So he's great. he was one of the best players on the glass, and we know that Michael liked playing with Dennis, a gritty player who got a lot of boards, and they kind of had that complement each other and they both respected each other's game and I think like you said they were friends for a long time when they were in the league so if you have them come in together as rookies I think they build that chemistry even more and I think that they definitely could have been the best duo that the Sixers franchise has seen. For sure I think Jonathan hit it um, on the head you got two of the most competitive guys from that era MJ and Barkley were both very uniquely dominant on offense in ways that I think could complement each other. Obviously, Barkley didn't need the ball quite as much as Michael could have played off of him as the number two, I think, fairly easily. And as you mentioned, you know, good chemistry. I I don't think that would have been an issue. So definitely, I mean, we look at them both now as two of the greatest players of their era, and I think together they would have been equally as dominant. So it's certainly, I think it would be, fair to say that we could have put them in that pantheon of some of the greatest duos that we've seen. Most definitely, most definitely. But it's, it's, you know, it's not always looking in the past. And now we have to look to the present and the future. And that's where Chris is going to come in and explain his recent series of articles that he wrote dissecting uh, Bleacher Reports, fantasy leagues, fantasy trades. So Chris, go ahead and explain that for our fans a little bit. Yeah, so for those who haven't been following, I think the writers over at Bleacher Report are, were about as bored as the rest of us are uh, here during quarantine. So they decided to kind of start up an early fantasy offseason, give one team to every 
to 30 different people to function as GMs of those teams. Uh, and the 76ers and their GM were one of the more active teams in that quote-unquote fantasy league. Um, they traded Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, and Al Horford all over the course of the quote-unquote offseason. And we're just going to run through some of those bigger trades. I think we'll start first with arguably the most significant of those trades, which was Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, Zaire Smith, and a top eight protected 2022 first round pick for Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, and Corey Joseph. John, what are your thoughts on that deal? Do you think it's a good one for the Sixers? Do you think they maybe gave up too much? What are your thoughts there? Well, of the three that we're going to get into today that I've seen come through for Bleacher Report, I think this is the most realistic and the one that interests me the most. I think you do give up a lot with Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. You have two starters there. But Buddy Heald was second in the NBA in three-pointers made before the season got uh, suspended. And he's the kind of player that fits with with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You need more perimeter threats to space the floor, open up the lane. So I do like that pickup. And I think everyone knows what Harrison Barnes brings to the table. He contributed on the Warriors championship team, on their first championship team. He's a solid role player that you can plug in. And I think that, again, that's someone that you'd really like on the team. And then Corey Joseph being the third on this uh, trade, he's – what we need, though, in terms of a backup point guard, because I think throughout the years, but specifically most recently, our point guard depth is always a concern. I mean, having Ben Simmons is as one of the top point guards in the league, but he's so big, you need to have a complementary point guard to come off the bench. And I think we saw TJ play that role somewhat well uh, two years ago in the playoffs, but Corey Joseph's an upgrade there, and he's still, I believe, 28 years old. So I think that that's one of the sleepers uh, in this trade. And honestly, I know it's hard to give up Tobias and Josh, but Tobias wasn't shooting amazing. And um, I think that this would be the one of the ones we're going to talk about that I would like the most. For sure. I think this is one of those situations where you kind of have to weigh the, the balance between fit and talent. I think Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson in a vacuum are more talented than Buddy Hield and Harrison Barnes. But you have to factor in, obviously, Tobias's contract, which is five years, $180 million, which is a whole lot of money for someone who is pretty strongly a third wheel on a contending team. And then Josh, who's probably going to be too expensive for the Sixers to keep after next season. So that's just something you have to factor into it. Obviously, Buddy Heald is one of the best hypothetical fits you could come up with in the league with regard to how he fits next to both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, someone who can run those dribble handoffs, create his own shot a bit, and also just a dead-eye shooter, one of the best three-point marksmen in the bat, in, in the league. Um, Harrison Barnes isn't a great contract, but he's a, an effective player. He can slide right into that three spot where uh, Tobias is leaving. So overall, I, I think it's a pretty fair trade. I'm, I'm not super psyched about it or anything. I'm not sure if I would pull the trigger right away if I was – the actual Sixers GM, but it's certainly a, a, um, a hypothetical that, that warrants discussion. Yeah, for me in this regard, I I understand this trade, but I would rather try to substitute 
Al Horford in for Tobias Harris just because I think Tobias Harris could fit in with those other guys easily. And, you know, they're both on bad contracts. But at the same time, I understand why the deal was done the way that it was. And I, I, I think I'm going to side more with Chris. I, I, would def, I would be intrigued by it, but I would definitely have to sit on it because I think Chris is right when it says that, when he says Tobias and Richardson – are better players than uh, Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes. I'm not sure about Buddy Heald being better than Richardson, but, you know, it just it depends on what you value. And I think Heald's skills are much more valuable than, you know, what uh, Richardson can bring to the table, which I think that's fair to say. So I'm not too thrilled about this, but I understand why it was made. Yeah, and, and going back to just the margins of that trade, I do think the the 2022 first is a bit excessive, especially when you're also giving up Zaire. Uh, we haven't seen much from Zaire, but I, I still do believe in him as a prospect. Corey Joseph hasn't been great this year. He does make a lot of sense on paper as a pretty solid point guard defender and someone who can help, as Jonathan said, kind of take pressure off of Ben and create in the half court a little bit. So so I do like Corey Joseph a lot, but it, it is just a lot to give up, even if the contracts for Tobias and even Josh are a little bit worrisome. Uh, but but as, as John said, this is probably the most realistic and feasible of the trades that were made in this Bleacher Report League. And I, I, I know Buddy Hill has been a name that has been connected to the Sixers a lot, just on Twitter and in the NBA internet sphere for, for a while. So... It definitely warrants some some talk. John, you also mentioned um, Al Horford, or sorry, Lucas also mentioned Al Horford as someone who would like to kind of switch in for Tobias. The uh, Bleacher Report GM also went on to trade Al to the Houston Rockets, along with Furkan Korkmaz and Shake Milton. The return was a bit sprawling here. It was Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, Nemanja Bialica, who the Rockets had gotten in a previous fantasy trade with the Kings, as well as Chris Clemens and Isaiah Hartstein. I'll let John take the floor here first. John, what are your your first thoughts on that deal? Yeah, so for this one, I think the trade's made because it's more of a salary dump or a contract dump for Al Horford. So it's basically saying what do you have to give up along with Al Horford to get another team in the NBA to make a deal. So you're adding in Furkan and Shake, who are two young players, um, both had – Good years this year. I was surprised by Furkan breaking out. And he was streaky this year, definitely, but he showed signs that he could play well. And then Shake in the last month before the season was suspended was dominating the league. And he was just looking like a very key cog for the Sixers for the future. So I'm not very keen on giving those two players up. I mean, I think you see who you get back. It's a lot of players. And Eric Gordon probably highlights the list. But I think his – I think why he plays so well is the fit that he has for the Rockets. And I don't think he'd be as great a player in our rotation. Um, so, yeah, you want to dump the Al Horford contract. I know a lot of people do, and they don't see him playing with Embiid. But it's the end question is just at what cost. And to build off of what John, uh, John has said here in regards to what cost, I wouldn't do that trade personally. I think you're giving up too much. I would trade maybe one of those two players along with Al Horford to dump him, but I'd not both, not for that package that you're getting back. That's not enough. And, um, you know, you basically get three 
you know, rotational player. And and here's the thing, Eric Gordon can be good, but he's been so injured for most of his career, you can't really trust him. And that's just more dead money that the Sixers don't really need. So I I understand why the trade was made as Jonathan said it was a, a salary dump, but I just don't I don't think it's a deal that the Sixers should or would or should do. Yeah, I as we mentioned earlier, I wrote about all of these trades and honestly the Houston one was probably the trade I was most personally enthusiastic for. I like it quite a bit. I think moving off of Al Horford's contract, even more so than Tobias's, is a really big positive here. I'm not quite as high on Furkan, I don't think, as some other writers on our site may be. I think he's a big defensive liability still, and I think that's going to hurt him a lot in a postseason setting. Um, Shake's obviously the big the big question mark here that you have to reckon with. He looked really good the last couple months of the season, but again, we've only had like a month or two of really solid, proven basketball from Shake. You know, in this situation, you're getting back Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers, both of whom have proven themselves as quality contributors on a contending Houston Rockets team, as well as Bielitsa, who's an elite shooter who would fit really nicely at the four in Horford's place. Plus, he gets some extra kind of throw-ins in Clemens and Hartenstein, who I really like as kind of French prospects towards the back end of the roster. And, and when you look at this holistically – when you put both trades together, you end up with Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, Corey Joseph, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, Bielitsa, all those guys around, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I think that's a much better suited roster to the, to the Sixers' two main stars than the current one. I think that frees up a lot of space for both Embiid and Simmons. You got extra shooting, extra playmaking. I think that group's going to work a lot more cohesively than the current group works, even if it's a slight downgrade in terms of pure talent. So I personally really like this one. Giving up shake is definitely tough. It's hard to swallow. I don't really understand this trade from Houston's perspective. I don't really know what the Rockets were thinking. It doesn't make much sense at all for them. But from Philly's perspective, I think personally this is this is one that I'm a fan of. And then moving on, just to kind of round out the chaotic offseason for the Sixers, in this Bleacher Report League, they traded Harrison Barnes, who they got from the Kings in the Tobias trade, and they traded him for Kevin Love. That's a pretty interesting one to kind of throw into the mix here. Uh, I'll again let John take the floor since he's our guest. John, what are your thoughts on Kevin Love as a Sixer? I've, uh, I've liked the idea when it's come up in the past, but... I guess, well, I guess if Horford has moved on, which in theory would be the case uh, here, it could be a nice addition. But I think that even though Kevin Love has developed his three-point shot, his best is when he is playing in the post, which was seen in Minnesota, and the three-pointer is the secondary part of his game. I think when we were thinking about the trades earlier, you put them together, and Kevin Love might be is most likely a better talent uh, in the pure vacuum, but I think Harrison Barnes is a fit here. I think having a wing role player is more important for the current roster as built um, as opposed to having another big player. I know Al Horford and Kevin Love aren't too similar of a player, but I can see similar issues arising um, if Embiid, Simmons, and Love were sharing the court together. 
Yeah, I think defensively there would be some issues there because Kevin's never been a great defender. And then on top of that, he's starting to get up there in age. He's in his early 30s now. So I think defensively he would be even worse defensive liability than what Horford had shown at times this season, especially on the perimeter. So I think that's an issue. But you still have Embiid to back him up, so there's that. Um, In terms of swapping Harrison Barnes for Kevin Love, I'm not thrilled about that. I think Harrison Barnes would like – Jonathan said it would be the better fit. However, you know, maybe we could – in reality, maybe the Sixers could swap Kevin Love for Al Horford. Probably Cleveland probably wouldn't do that because they have uh, Andre Drummond already. But who knows? I mean, they might be able to get a third team involved. But, I, you know, Kevin Love wouldn't be the – I think offensively there would be some positives because Kevin Love, he played with LeBron James. He's a willing passer, very good underrated passer probably on the same level as Horford, but doesn't need the offense to run through him to still be happy and effective. As long as he's in a winning culture, he's proven to be a good uh, guy to have on in your rotation. So I think there's drawbacks. I think if you had to, if you could swap out Al Horford for Kevin Love, you could do it. I don't know if you would do it for Harrison Barnes in this case, but if you could, if you would have this, straight up swap out Kevin Love for Al Horford, I think that that's something you seriously have to consider because offensively there's a much better fit there. Yeah, when I wrote about this, I kind of made the comparison to Love's time in Cleveland when LeBron and Kyrie were there where he's just kind of relegated to a spot-up shooting role and he doesn't really get to play to his strengths in the post. And I definitely think that's a concern. But uh, with Philadelphia, that's kind of what they've done with Al Horford this season. And and Kevin Love is a significantly better shooter than Al. Horford hasn't really lived up to his his pedigree on defense, so you can't really say it's it's a major drop-off there either. And I, I think part of the appeal here is also that when Joel sits, you get to put Kevin Love in at center, and you can kind of stagger those minutes, which is sort of similar to what Philly was thinking when they signed Al this past summer. So I... You, you at least get like 15 minutes a game with Love at center maybe where he can do some of his, his best his better work in the post. And I think that's something that's intriguing. And, yeah, I mean, indirectly you are replacing Al Horford with Kevin Love, which, which I like quite a bit. I don't know if I'd just trade Barnes for Love because, as John said, I do think Barnes maybe fits better on paper, especially on defense, just because of his versatility. But it really depends on how good you think Love is at this stage in his career. We haven't really been able to see him at his best in Cleveland just because he hasn't really cared this season, which I I don't really blame him. Love is older than Barnes, and Barnes does have a much clearer fit on this roster. But uh, I don't think you can really go wrong either way. To, To piggyback what you said about having Love at center, yes, offensively I think it would be great for him. But at the same token, what are you giving up defensively? I mean, Kevin Love was eaten alive during the NBA Finals when he played center in place of Tristan Thompson. I mean, he he competed. I'm not denying that. But, you know, luckily it wasn't against a team that was, you know, board dominant or, you know, like took a lot of interior shots or else he would have been in trouble. So I think that's something that you have to consider. And also, the Sixers are going to be playing against – you know, I, I wouldn't play Love at center. I, you know, I would make him your focal point in the second unit, but I wouldn't play him mm-hmm. at center. I would try to get somebody with, you know, almost a mean streak because you're going to be going up against the Bucks and the Raptors who have very, very, you know, tough interior games. So 
Kevin Love at center would be eaten alive in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I think you you have to go with you have to get somebody that can that's like a good solid defensive center that's it has a mean streak to play next to Kevin Love to hide his deficiencies interior. And, well, I mean, you're going to give up some ex, you know some stuff on the perimeter with him, but it's better than what he gives up on the interior. So moving on to our last subject here, because we don't want to beat the Kevin Love horse into the ground here. We're going to go ahead and talk about, because Brett Brown recently did a uh, interview online and, uh, you know, audio interview about, you know, just what he's doing and, you know, how he's preparing for the season, if it continues, all that other stuff. And one of the things he mentioned was how he's preparing for the playoffs and more in particularly how he's going to, plan out Joel Embiid's minutes for the playoffs. So in the in the interview, Brown basically essentially said that for the regular season, he wanted Embiid to play about 30 minutes a game. And then during the playoffs, he wants him to play about 38 minutes a game. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on that? I think Brett Brown's right here. I think you got to be able to increase his minutes in the playoffs. I think that's why you keep him to around 30 minutes a game throughout the regular season because – he seems – I mean, at points people say he's out of shape and he can't get up and down the court or get his body in shape for more minutes throughout the game. And you have to save a guy like that who's such a big presence on the team. You need to save that for the playoffs. But once you get there, I think that 38 min- minutes is a great goal. But if you have to go above that, I don't find any issue there. So I know people sometimes criticize Brett Brown coming out and saying – something about Ben Simmons shot in the past and this may be taken negatively him trying to push Embiid. But I think if you want to be, which Embiid does, if you want to be the franchise player, the go-to player who makes a difference, you have to be able to play it something along the lines of 38 minutes when you're going into a playoff series. So, yeah, no, and I think you make a valid point there, but I, I want to bring up a couple of different points here. The first being is that during the regular season, I've advocated that, especially once Al Horford was relegated to the bench, you pay, play Joel Embiid 28 minutes a game, and then you play Horford 20 minutes a game, saves Embiid even more and helps Horford get, you know, a decent amount of run. And that's with the idea that they don't play together rarely at all. So keeping that in mind moving into the playoffs now. Now, there's something that we have to remember, Jonathan, is that right now we're, we're in month two of our hiatus from the NBA. And I think we both realize here that Joel Embiid has not had the best track record of staying in shape and in healthy. It was staying healthy. And worst case scenario, the NBA – well, second worst case scenario, the NBA jumps straight into the playoffs, no regular season games. They get a minimum of three weeks training camp, which seems to be the – at least minimum goal for the NBA and the Players Association is three weeks. I don't know if that's enough time for Embiid to be really in shape. And then him jumping straight into 38 minutes a game in the playoffs, I'm worried about conditioning and I'm worried about his his health in that regard. So while I think, obviously, if he's a franchise player, he needs to be playing that many minutes at the same time, you have to understand where he's coming from. And I'm not sure if that's a good way to start him right off the bat at 38 minutes a game in the first round. I think that's a good point, especially because you're right. I mean, going straight into the playoffs for anyone, it's it's tough. I mean, you saw when MJ came back in the 95 season, like it was tough for him to get back into shape. So when you see uh, this long hiatus, any team that comes back, uh, the Lakers, the Bucks, everyone who's going to 
potentially be in the playoffs. I think a few regular seasons or a little uh, training camp would be necessary to get these guys into shape. But if they don't have that, yeah, I think you're right there. It is tough to start and beat out, especially in the first couple of rounds, that high because you don't want to risk injury. Yeah, I, I think both of you guys are right. I do think how the NBA handles a potential return to play is going to be important here. Um, but as, as far as what Brett said, I don't think you can fault anything that he said. If, if you have a star-level player, arguably a, arguably a top-10 player like Embiid, you need him playing 38, 40 minutes a night, especially in competitive games in the second and the third rounds if the Sixers get there. When those games are really high leverage, high leverage games of importance, you, you need your star players out there as much as you can get them. Uh, I do think the point Lucas brought up about Al Horford's minutes is a really interesting kind of side point here because we have seen Brett Brown consciously try to limit the time that those two are on the court together here over the last couple months uh, before the season was suspended. And, and it's not as much of a problem at home, but on the road when the Sixers shooting percentages fall off the way that they do, we've seen Al really inhibit um, what Embiid and, and also Ben Simmons can do. So I think just seeing how Horford's minutes play out in general in the postseason is going to be really interesting because I would assume the Sixers want him out there 25, 30 minutes a night because they're paying him as much as they are, and he is still Al Horford. But but that's going to be tough. It, it's, it should be interesting. Most definitely there, Chris. I think you bring a, a good point with Horford. Are you only going to play him, what, 10 minutes a night if, if Embiid's playing 38 minutes? It doesn't seem like an ideal fit. And I think we have to go back to this is that both Brand and Brett uh, Brown believe that this team is a playoff team, so maybe they go back to their Jumbo lineup in, in the playoffs because they believe the defensive side of this uh, of the duo's aspect will win out versus, you know, any other offensive struggles that they have, especially against teams like Toronto and Milwaukee. Maybe not against teams like the Heat, who have proven to give them like major issues this season, but I think teams like basically every other contender except for the Heat in the East have really not have had troubles against this jumbo lineup. So, you know, maybe Brown adjusting in case we in case they run into the heat, but otherwise, I you know I wouldn't be surprised if we see Horford in the starting lineup if we go into the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Brett obviously did put Al back in the rotation after Ben got hurt there towards the end to uh, test out that duo. So I, I don't think Brett has given up on the Joel Embiid and and Al Horford pairing. It's probably going to be a matter of how he staggers minutes between Joel and Ben. Um, so there, there are a lot of factors at play here, but, but I do think the most interesting side point from this quote is just how exactly Al Horford's minutes look in the playoffs because he's pretty much the biggest question mark on this team uh, just in terms of what his role is, how he's going to look, even him too, how he's going to look after two months or three months without basketball because he, he's obviously starting to show his age a bit. So uh, a three-month break might do Al a lot of good. It might you know, leave him well-rested and, and healthier, but it could also slow him down even further. So there, there's just a lot to unpack there, and I do think that's probably the most interesting um, question to ponder uh, as we wait for basketball to come back. Fair point, fair point. So I think we've hit it on basically all of our points that we wanted to hit on today. 
So, Chris, you want to uh, uh, play us out as it is? Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for listening to another episode of the Six Your Sense podcast. We want to give a special shout-out to Jonathan Guy. He does some great work at the site. This is his second appearance on the podcast. Jonathan, we really appreciate you coming on, and we hope to have you on again sometime in the future. Thanks. It's always a good time, and I appreciate it. For sure. And you guys can follow us, give us a positive review, subscribe on iTunes, Spreaker, Google Play, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and come back for future episodes. This is going to be a weekly thing. We are here for the long haul, and we can't wait to bring you some more Sixers content. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.